0: All right, well everyone, we are uh, so glad to be here together today, Um, and I want to um, maybe remind some of you, if you are with us last week, or maybe catch some of you up, if you weren't, that we're currently in a series uh, called The Lord's Prayer. We're looking at uh, when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, and here's how uh, he responded. And... As we're going to talk about God's kingdom come uh, today, what I want to do is start off uh, very quickly, and this might feel random, i will connect it. I promise. How many of you, um, I'm, I'm trying to take a quick poll and figure out where people are in regards to how early in the year they play Christmas songs, okay? So are, if, you, if you are a, um, I wait until after Thanksgiving person, can you raise your hand? Okay, good, we have some self-control there, wonderful. Um, do we have people who are, like, November 1st, like, you know, kind of once Halloween's done, it's scary, and then November 1st starts, and, and we start there. Do we have some people who do that? You can raise your hand proud, it's, it's okay. It's, um, do we, okay, go ahead and put your hands down. Do we have people who don't understand the concept of too early, because every season is a time to play Christmas music, right? Do we have some of those people? We have someone raising both hands back here, which makes me very, very happy. Um, so here's, here's why I asked, because you know Christmas music is one of those where for, for us we try like I try to we don't decorate until the day after Thanksgiving, so while many people are celebrating Black Friday and going and purchasing things and getting good deals we're like we're going to decorate the tree and we're going to love it right because sometimes it gets stressful, but we, uh, we enjoy that time and we listen to Christmas music for for that month, but I know people who it's like, it's July 4th, and they're like, yeah, Christmas in July is a thing, and we want to just listen to Christmas music. Now, what's interesting about Christmas music, um, besides the fact that there's a lot of it and and all that, uh, for some people, it's one of those where that's when it starts to, because part of why I wait is it feels like that's really when the season is, like that's when it's happening, right? Like the music, the sound, the smells, when Christmas is coming, we just get so excited and we look forward to the day where we celebrate Christ's birth. And I bring this up because imagine, imagine you were someone who had no concept of of anything regards to what Christmas was or what have you. Let's just say you were transported into someone's home and you had no idea what Christmas was about. You had no idea. But you started hearing specific music. And people say, oh, Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. What you would do is you would associate, okay, Christmas is coming. The season is, is coming. But we know Christmas comes on December 25th. Like, we know there's a fixed date in which we are all anticipating and celebrating Christ's birth. But imagine, recognize that we're in a season where we're celebrating Christmas. And we're starting uh, to have chestnuts roasting on an open fire, apparently. Um, We start to be able to, we don't have a white Christmas here uh, necessarily, unless if there's like a little bit of overcast clouds, but just recognizing that you're all of a sudden, you're you're thinking about Christmas and people start being, you know, either more kind and generous during Christmas, like serving and donating, or they get way more angry because they want to get the thing that is on Black Friday and they want it and you want it too. But recognizing that all of a sudden, we know the season is about us, But if we had no concept of what December 25th was, if we had no concept of a specific day that Christmas was ending, we were just in a Christmas season anticipating that Christmas season's here, but it's not yet fully celebrated. It's not yet fully come, but we're living in a season of Christmas. When we talk about the kingdom of God, as we open that up today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to unpack some questions of how is it that we can wait and long for God's kingdom to come because we are in a season since Jesus came where we know the kingdom of God is here, but it hasn't fully been realized or consummated yet. It's like we're listening to Christmas music, but we don't have the date of when when Christmas is going to be celebrated. We are in the season of knowing God's kingdom is around and it's been going for 2,000 years, but we don't know when it's going to end So therefore, how do we live in the perpetual Christmas is here, but not yet? How do we live in the perpetual kingdom of God is here, but not yet? And so if you'll join me in a word of prayer, we're going to ask God to meet us here, to open our eyes, ears, and hearts to what he has for us, Um, and that way we can uh, receive what it is that he wants to share with us, because I fully believe every person who is in this room is here for a reason. Every person who's watching online today is watching here for a reason, and anyone who might be listening or watching later on is here and listening for a reason as well. So let's prepare our hearts, minds, and uh, eyes and ears hears, hears, to see what it is that God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you so much that, uh, that you are here with us, wherever here is for us today. Lord, we know that we have a group of us who are here in Poway. We have some people, uh, we have some friends watching in Tennessee. We have a host watching in Montana. We have people watching across the nation, but also right here, Lord. And so you are with us here. We are intentionally gathered as the ecclesia, as the church, to worship you and to dive into your word. God, I pray that as, as we do dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we're going to be in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 20, because as in the Lord's prayer, the first week we talked about our Father in heaven, and Dan Lewis unpacked uh, the majesty and the encounters with God in heaven and what that must have been like, and then last week we Dan preached on, Dan Goodham preached on holy is your name and acknowledging holiness and acknowledging what that looks like to to listen to God and to obey him and to recognize when he's speaking and the power that, that God is both fully holy and other and separated, but yet he's also father who's close and intimate to us. So taking both those things into account. And today, the next part of the Lord's Prayer is our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And your kingdom come is both a prayer and it's a declaration. It's an acknowledgement of what God has already done through Jesus, and yet it's a prayer that we would see it. So we ask the question today, how do we see God's kingdom come? How do we recognize that? And we're going to start here in verse 20, because Jesus addresses this idea of God's kingdom coming very clearly when the Pharisees ask him this question. Verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the, kingdom of the, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Let's, let's pause there for a moment. The first thing we want to recognize is that the Pharisees were asking when is the kingdom of God going to come? It's, it's the idea of recognizing that we the pharisees were thinking that the kingdom of god was going to be an earthly kingdom that that it would be a messiah would come and would provide a earthly kingdom an earthly reign for the jewish people that they had been dispersed all throughout um, when the northern kingdoms were taken over by assyria when the southern kingdoms were uh people were removed from babylon and they came back to jerusalem and so for years and centuries, they had been waiting and saying, you know, when is the Messiah going to come? And when is the kingdom going to return? That, that theocratic or God-centered kingdom, when's that going to come on earth? And so they asked Jesus. At this point, um, as I was reading the commentaries, this is not a, you know, oftentimes the Pharisees will ask accusing questions or questions to get Jesus in trouble. Uh, this was more of a a, a, a peaceable question, just saying, you know, when, when is the kingdom of God going to show up? And so the point that we're going to look at here is this idea that one of the ways that we see God's kingdom is that we focus less on observing the kingdom out there and more on observing the kingdom in here. We focus less on observing the kingdom out there and looking for signs and looking for things, and we focus more on observing the kingdom in here. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast in here and talking about within our hearts, within our lives and in our, our heart and our will. Here's how we see this coming because Jesus in verse 20 says the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. It's not something that is, there are outward signs to say, oh, that is for sure what's going to happen. We don't look for a certain, in their case, person to lead the Jewish people into a kingdom that was going to reign and overthrow Rome. It's not something that you see on the outside. In fact, people will say here it is or there it is, but Jesus says that's not where the kingdom is found. It's not observed just from the outside and us just trying to look for things to see where it is. It's found in your midst. And that word in the midst or in your midst as the, at the end of verse 21 can be translated as, you know, kind of around you in your midst, it can also be translated as within you, or among you. In fact, the only other time that that word is used by Jesus in the New Testament is when he's talking about how the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious elite, the religious ones who knew the word of God forward and backward. They'd memorized it from a very young age, and yet they, they boiled it down to rules and regulations rather than experiencing it as a relationship. And so they knew it with their heads, but they missed the mark with their hearts. They were looking for the kingdom of God out there without recognizing that the kingdom of God needs to reign in here. And so the only other time that that word in your midst is used by Jesus in the New Testament is when he's talking about how the Pharisees need to clean the inside of the cup. What does that mean? He uses that as an example that the Pharisees are like a cup that that is clean on the outside and yet it's dirty on the inside. The Pharisees are, are like whitewashed tombs, that on the outside it looks nice, but on the inside it's, it's, there's a, it's a dead faith because they're just doing rules and regulations, not relationship. So this idea of the kingdom of God is in your midst is this idea that it's, it's, it's within you, it's within us, and it's this idea of the kingdom isn't someone sitting on a, it's not a earthly king sitting on a throne. It's acknowledging that Jesus is has to sit on the throne of our lives. That the, king, the kingdom of God must be observed in our lives, that we surrender our lives and put him on the throne, that it's not what I want to do, but what he wants. It's not that I must increase and he must decrease, it's that he must increase and I must decrease. It's recognizing that one of the foundational sins that, that happened from the fall of man was that the serpent enticed Adam and Eve to think that if they took this fruit, one, there'd be no consequence for their sin, and said, you will not die, but two, that you can become like God. In other words, take this bite of this forbidden fruit, and you can become the king of your own life, the one who determines you get to say what's right or wrong. You get to decide where you want to go and how you want to do it. You get to decide, rather than submitting and surrendering, our kingship or, or, or the desire for kingship on our throne, surrendering that to God. So I mentioned at the very beginning this idea that the kingdom of God, and we're going to sit on this phrase for a couple of moments. The kingdom of God is, as theologians say, already but not yet. It's already here, but it's not yet fully fulfilled. And so it's, it's this idea of, When uh, Augustine, he's a theologian from from early uh, 400s, he talked about this idea that the kingdom of God is in our midst. The kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is wherever the reign of God takes place. So in our hearts, when God reigns in our lives, we are living as if sons and daughters of the king. We are living as ambassadors to God's kingdom. And so Augustine talks about how the kingdom of God is already here, but then he gives a quotation of even if someone were to close their eyes and be able to block out the light a little bit at least, even then people may try to block out the kingdom of God really being here. So when I turn nine... Uh, so my birthday is coming up on Wednesday, um, and when I turned nine, it was 1993, and we decided to, uh, I wanted to go see a movie that had just come out, uh, which was Jurassic Park, the original one. Um, if you've seen it, I remember it was, I enjoyed it, I used to own it, but it was a little much for me as a nine-year-old boy to just hear, like, crunching and munching and know that that was a lawyer or a human. Um, but recognizing that there were times when I was like, oh, I wanted to have, it would be fun, and then I remember there was a moment where I closed my eyes and I was I was scared and I was trying to hide. Um, I think in my mom's uh, you know just trying to hide in, in my mom's like arm embrace, which nothing says you're turning into a young man like that. So um, just recognizing that I was trying to close my eyes and she's like you know cover your ears like that'll help too. And so I'm going to a movie and my mom's and they're probably thinking so we're paying for you to close your eyes and cover your ears. We could have done this at home, right? Like, but we went and we saw that and I, but. By saw, I mean I covered my eyes and covered my ears. And then people will try to do that when it comes to recognizing that God is around us. They'll cover their eyes. They don't want to see. They don't want God's word to tell them or to show them that there's another way to live. We don't want to surrender our crowns. We don't want to get off of our throne and, and say, Jesus, take your rightful place. We don't want to do that. We would rather close our eyes on a fictitious or a fake kingdom that will only last for however many years we have here on earth than to be able to surrender our lives, give God and Jesus his rightful place on the throne so we may experience eternity with him forever. But we cannot close our eyes and block out the kingdom's coming any more than I can close my eyes and pretend that there weren't that the the dinosaurs weren't really on the screen. It was still happening. Even if I try to avoid it, God's kingdom is still here. It's already here. Why? Because Jesus, as the King, came. And because those who follow him live as if sons and daughters of the King when his reign is in our lives and we live as ambassadors to the world around us. It's already, the Christmas music is playing, but it's not yet fully fulfilled. And we don't know when that's going to happen. It's like if when Aslan is on the move, but the, the, it starts to, the, 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 the winter starts to melt away. It hasn't fully occurred yet. The kings aren't on the throne, but he's coming. It's when Strider from Lord of the Rings, he acknowledges and receives his calling to be Aragorn, the, the one who's going to take the throne. He recognizes it's coming, but it's not yet. It's all these different stories that stir within us when we know a good king needs to come and to conquer a bad world. It's coming, but it's not fully yet realized, consummated, and fulfilled. So the first thing that we see, how do we see God's kingdom come? The first one is that we focus more on observing the kingdom in here rather than out there and the second one is that um excuse me we live according to the word of God not the words of men here's what Jesus continues verse 22 then he said to his disciples the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man but you will not see it people will tell you there he is or here he is but do not go running off after them for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. See, this section is a little bit, not hard, but we have to unpack it for a moment because Jesus says that there will be people who say, there's where the kingdom of God's coming, or there's where the new Messiah is, or here's what you need to pay attention to. And we hear that all the time. But yet, if, we're not, if we don't know God's word enough to be able to recall it, then it'll be really easy for us to start following the words of men who say, there it is, here it is, go over there. But Jesus says, they'll say that, but that's not where it is. In fact, in John, we see that Jesus says, he he doesn't even know the time, or excuse me, it's Mark, Mark 13. He doesn't even know the time of the coming of him, of his second coming. He says, the only one, not the angels, not even the son knows, but the father knows the time. So we can be observant and we can notice the signs. And uh, Matthew 24, it talks about there's different signs of the ends of the age and it's wars and rumors of wars and famine and and there are earthquakes and natural disasters. We can pay attention to the signs and be be, be cognizant, be wise. But we cannot predict the day because in God's own word, Jesus' own words say that even he doesn't know the day. Even he doesn't say, I'm coming on you know, July 5th, 2021, right? He's not, he's not saying he's coming in a certain day. It's just, it's going to happen suddenly. So we need to recognize that we need to know God's word well enough so that we don't get swayed by the words of men, that we don't get thrown aside and say, oh, here it is, there it is, here it is. But instead, we know God's word. We line ourselves with God's word. And we can listen to what people are saying, but we, we take that, well, the words of others, and we Compared to here. So when someone predicts the end of the world is going to happen on a certain date, and then we look in God's word and Jesus says, even I don't know the date, then we need to guard ourselves against falling into all those different types of things. And then verse 24 and 25, I know I just read it, but I'll read it again. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. I'm in a grad school right now, and we're in C.S. Lewis class, and so this is entering in my fifth week of five weeks, and throughout the, the, the class so far, I think we've read, um, I think I've read like five of his books already in the past few weeks, so f- five or six by the end of the time, and one of the ones we read is called The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce is uh, the story in which it's, it's a bus ride from people who are living in hell, and it's a bus ride, and it's, again, it's, all, it's all narrative, it's all made up, but it ge- teaches us truth about our lives. And they go, and they go to a place that is heaven, and it's about, it's like the mountains where heaven is, and they're here, and all they need to do is surrender their last and final thing in order to follow God fully. Now, there's some theological things that, that we don't fully align with, but one of the ideas that it talks about was at the very end when the main character, he is told, you know, the coming, at at Jesus' coming isn't going to happen suddenly. It's going to be slow. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be, it's going to be imperceptible. It's, it's all these things. But at the, one of the very ending scenes is that this, he's facing away and he's looking at a guide in front of him. And the guide's face just gets overwhelmed with light. And he recognizes that all of a sudden he has not made, the main character has not made that decision to surrender whatever it is that holds him back. And so he talks about, the, here's the, the, the angels and people singing, the morning is coming, the morning is coming. And the, the whole world is lit up. With this light beyond recognition beyond anything we could perceive as oh it's light out here no no no. this was overwhelming and what he does is the same thing that i did when i was trying to hide in my mom's arms when i watched jurassic park he hides into his guide's arms he says i haven't made the decision yet i haven't made the decision yet and he covers his face in fear see the coming of god the second coming of jesus is both beautiful And also really scary. The light is both a light that illuminates and shows us the path. And also illuminates the recesses and the difficulties we have in our hearts. It's a light that guides and warms. It's also a light that can scald. Because in that moment, we have to have made the decision. Of whether, as the famous quote from Great Divorce is that there are two types of people in this world. Those who say to God, thy will be done or those whom God says to them, thy will be done. What does that mean? It means that we all have to make a choice either to align ourselves with God's will or to pursue our own will at the detriment of a relationship with him. We either keep ourselves as kings or surrender our crowns and cast in our crowns so that Jesus can take his rightful place as king in our lives. So we've talked about how In order to see the kingdom of God come, that we have to focus less on observing the kingdom out there and looking for things and signs because Jesus says it's not observable. It's not something that you can just see outwardly, but it's within you. It's in your midst. So we need to focus on kingdom of God in here, in our lives. Second, we need to know God's word enough that we trust God's word, the words of God, over the words of men. And then thirdly and lastly for our our sermon today, is the idea that we need to live today with eternity in mind. We live today with eternity in mind. You know, I'm going to read uh, verses 26 and 27. They're going to be on one side of your screen. And then I'm going to pause We'll talk about that. And then we're going to read 28 and 29. And we're just going to compare the two sections together. But first, just verse 26 and 27 say this. Just as it was in the days of Noah... So also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. That people were living their lives, and all of a sudden everything changed. They were living their lives, eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, and then all of a sudden Noah was taken and he was entered into the ark and, and uh, preserved. Verse 28 then says... It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So again, this pattern is that people were living, they were living, they were doing, eating, drinking, marrying, working, planting, building. They were living for today. But if we get so caught up in living for today that we fail to keep eternity in mind, If we get so caught up in building bigger barns for ourselves, if we get so caught up in trying to build our own little fiefdoms, our own desires to be in charge, and and we get so focused on building our retirement that we don't recognize that we need to give our lives to Jesus. If we get so focused on our popularity that we fail to be known by God, if we get so focused on the things of this world, the worries of this world, then it can choke out, as Luke 8 talks about in the parable of the sower, it can choke out what God is trying to do. Through his word. And so we live today. We don't not eat. We don't not drink. We don't not marry. We don't not get, be given in marriage. We don't not plant. We don't not build. Like we, it's not that we ignore those things and segregate or seclude ourselves to the point where you know, we don't live in this world. We still do those things. We live for today, but we live today in such a way that eternity is in mind, that we see the end goal, that we recognize that today is the day that we've made. We rejoice and are glad in it, but we have no guarantee of tomorrow. We don't have a guarantee of the rest of today. So we live with an urgency, an urgency to keep Jesus on the throne, the urgency to know God's word. And the urgency to live in such a way that we are able to be ambassadors to the king, to point other people into a relationship with Jesus. Because people were living their lives, and within a moment, everything was destroyed. That we all go about living our lives, and within a moment, we don't know when God is going to call us home. Or we don't know when our life here will end so that we could enter into life, which is true life, eternal life with God, when that will begin in heaven with him. That eternal life starts when we know Jesus, but it extends for all eternity. So we live today doing all things as if for the Lord and not for man. But one of the ways we live as if for the Lord is by living today with eternity in mind. So as we close and as we, we think about this last section here, it continues this idea of what it's going to be like. It says, it will be, verse 30, it will be just like how Noah was and Lot. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. This idea, is a, it's a word that was, um, or it was a Greek idea that was used when there was an attack that came on your city, or attack for for an enemy, that you wouldn't go down and grab all your stuff. You just had to flee. You just had to go. So it's this idea of when you say, you know, if if people say, you know, when you leave, if there's a fire in your house, like don't try to go and grab, you know, certain things, right? It's that same idea of like, you just, we just got to go. And on that day, we don't get to bring anything with us because we won't need anything when God calls us home. It says, likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife is the one that they've been called and they're escaping. And she did something that I think would be easy for us. But she was told not to. But she looked back. And when she looked back and she saw the destruction and she saw the judgment, she was turned into a pillar of salt. When we look back and we look, if we only if we have eternity in mind but we keep looking back at life here and thinking that's our focus that's what we want to fix our eyes on then we're going to miss it c.s lewis talks about in mere christianity that if we aim for heaven we can get earth along with it but if we aim for earth we get neither but where are we fixing our eyes is it on our own kingdom is it on the words of men Is it only on today without eternity in mind? Or when we say kingdom come, are we praying that God would help us to keep him on the throne, that he would help us to know his word so we can decipher truth and and test what people say according to God's word? And will he or will we be able to live and keep our mindset of living for today, but knowing that today is not all we have, that we are able to live eternity with God And so we don't want to sacrifice our integrity or sacrifice things for short-term gain at the expense of long-term intimacy with God. So kingdom come, it's, it's a request. But it's also a declaration that the kingdom of God is here right now in your midst, in our midst. So will we allow him to be on the throne or will we keep trying to fight him off? To the point where one day, he looks at us and says, your will be done. You wanted to be the king and you've chosen that. But the offer has been extended that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, no one need be left out. The invitation is here. The moment can be now. The declaration of our need and our dependence for God can happen today so that we can have eternal life with him forever. So Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We, we cast down our crowns, Lord, and recognizing that it's easy for us to want to be in charge. It's easy for us to want to be um, the kings of our own lives. It's easy for us to Put the words of others and supersede that over your word. It's easy for us to just live for today. God, it's so easy for us that wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, Lord. And and yet narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to everlasting life with you. Lord, I pray right now as we are um, just silent and praying, God, that you would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, may you reveal in our lives ways that we've still try to make ourselves the king of our world. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to reveal to us still whether we've pursuing the words of men and prioritizing what other people say or how other people talk about you rather than what your word says. Lord, may you reveal ways in which we are living for today and not with eternity in mind. And may, Lord, we see your kingdom come. May we not only hear the music of your kingdom, and we don't know when that day of consummation will happen, but may we live in such a way that we rejoice in the preparation and we exclaim the declaration of our faith in you and the trust that your kingdom will come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.